So I was on this flight uh, today from Madrid to Paris. Uh, it's fun getting on the little regional uh, airlines in Europe. Thankfully, KLM and Air France and then their Sky Team partners fly everywhere. Anyways, there was a whole passel of, of high school kids, I'm guessing, coming on. And I noticed not only was one of them wearing a, uh, a fanny pack, but it was a Fila fanny pack, which I think is, uh, you know, a brand of, of that game where you kick a ball around or something. Uh, and But also he was doing that, that sort of uh, preening thing where you're sort of like adjusting your clothes so that they look optimal cool. So this made me think... Like, is our fanny packs coming back, Brandon? When you when you drop your your uh, your kid off at school, are they kind of are they sporting fanny packs, or or is it just like you ever, you know that that popsico like song? Is is it just it's only that person in that band who wears a fanny pack, or is or is the popularity spreading? <laughs> well, I can report back from the demographics that I travel in; they are not popular. But I, that does not mean that the uh, the European kids or hipsters as uh, they're probably known, have probably embraced the fanny pack uh, and are bringing it. Because I think even Fila is sort of like a callback to a very hipster-type brand. Mm. So so maybe it's sort of ironic and a, uh, in a retro sort of way. Yeah. And, and you know, of course, of course, uh, you know, for those, for those people, uh, my fellow Americans, who don't, who don't get out of the, uh, the wide, wonderful expanse that is uh, North America, and, you know, hello, Canada, you as well, uh, but like the, the the idea of the European man purse is real. It's not just like a joke. Just like people people are wearing their tiny little bags of the male persuasion everywhere. It's very popular. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm if I'm if I'm going to carry around a, a fanny pack or a uh, a uh, man purse. I'm sure there's some better word than man purse. I I don't know a per, a person purse a purse. There, how about we just call it a purse? That's fine. Uh, but but it is you know like I could use some extra cargo space because you know you got a you got a phone phone charger not the one you plug in but like a battery to phone your charge charge your phone and then uh, and then I was thinking I have a company issued phone so here's here's the second thing before we get started should I become two phone person Brandon is that a good is that a sweet move to make. Well, I think you should become um, some. I guess you have to finagle a new iPhone, but you should become this dual SIM iPhone oh. person, where you just because uh, that seems ideal, right? And then you just when you go between countries and uh, you just pick the data plan and the, the calling plan that works for you, and you get to keep uh, your own, you know, your kind of like your home number forever. Mm. So I don't, I know that's like that probably requires yet. Yeah. <laughs> Is that is that problem. a is that currently get, available? Like, can you yeah, get that's that the now? New, uh, oh yeah, you got to go watch the whole new. It's the new. Uh, it'll be the new expensive. I think it's the iPhone 10s. But it's right? not released yet, right? Like, I'd have no, to it's wait. out, man. It's what? Out, totally out. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm really out of the loop on this Apple. Yeah, stuff. and then you'll have to make sure that your carrier, and I think most of them will. Like, you'll have to make sure uh, the carrier supports the eSIM. So the way it works is you oh, get man. the phone has like one physical SIM. Uh-huh. Right, kind of like we're all used to, and then it will have a eSIM that is often used in, um, like the Apple Watches now, right? So you have to then register that eSIM with your carrier. So you need to make sure. So for you, I'm guessing what you have like AT and T in the states, and then whatever. Yeah, yeah, AT and T is over. That's all canceled. What what I, oh, what I would okay. have is I would have Vodafone Netherlands, and then uh-huh. KPN, the 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 big the other carrier 
in yeah. the Netherlands. Well, you're this is the whole use case. I mean, oh, this man. is I mean, this is what Tim Cook and they were saying, yeah. right? Is that yeah. the fact that uh, I feel like it's it's a lot more popular outside of the United States where people want to switch between carriers a lot more frequently because it's significantly cheaper as you move between countries and you know different regions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So uh, yeah, so you should do it. And then um, and then I then my understanding right is that more importantly. Like you know, uh, iMessage, and you know, you know, you just want to make sure a blue a blue bubble, right? Don't go to, don't become a green bubble. Become yeah. like you know, all of that like still works. It all like sort of like it figures it out that you're like one phone, yeah, um, yeah. and it just sends you everything. So that's, I would love for someone to try it. I want uh, I want some firsthand reviews. So that's what I would do. Well, but you know, maybe, case, maybe maybe I've got like twelve hundred dollars I don't actually need anymore that I want to convert right. into some electronics. We'll, we'll see how that right. pans out. But I, that, I, that still, I still need to get an Apple Watch with it, the LTE stuff built into it. Generation 4 or something? Yeah, Gen I don't 4. Know. I don't know. I haven't tried that. But I, I was going to say, um, that all that being said, though, I do think in your case, um, going two phones is okay. Being yeah. that kind of person where you just have, I don't know how you, like, would you break it along the lines of, like, work and personal? Or is it just more yeah, like, yeah. Well, one of them's, by one region? Of, one of them's for work. And I think, I think I, what I would do, this is, I'll experiment with this. Because, uh, because you know, I don't want to get into it, but the exact details of the the phone plan for my work phone are are either horrifically not helpful or vague, depending on you know <laughs> if if they became unvague. Like there's, I think there's a max of like two gigs internationally, which you know, uh, I don't want to create myself the work of going back and analyzing the last two years of my international data usage, which just sounds like a lovely way to spend my time. Uh, but I feel like two gigs is not enough. Definitely not. Yeah. For, I mean, that would only be abroad, uh, which, which in my case would be in the States and in Asia and I guess in Africa, things like that. But like, I don't know, two gigs doesn't seem like it's going to cut the mustard. Anyhow, my plan is I will I will uh, uh, hook up I will install whatever the activate my work phone and I'll just have it like turned off in my bag and then when I travel abroad I could turn it on if I need to or yeah I think also I can call back to the U S and that's covered versus on the plan I have it's it's not I don't know yeah yeah you should become well this is what this I is, dream this is what a dual sim is for it would yeah, be great right. And as yeah. I say, but in the future, this is what I, I believe we should all work for. It's like, um, you know, you just have your own personal phone, personal phone number, and then you show up for your job, just like you get an email address. Mm. They just give you a phone number, right? And they just like, there's some instructions because you're carrying a dual SIM phone. And then you just link that phone number to your own device. And then, you know, if people call you for work they or whatever, all your work stuff is just connected to that device. And then when you leave that job, you know, they just take just like the email address is shut off. They shut off the phone mm-hmm. and you just go on your way. Like that's that's the world I think we should live in. I want to live in that world one day. Yeah, I, I think I think this is the number two item after fixing calendaring. It's just like, <laughs> can I just have my phone fucking work in the world? <laughs> right. Like, I don't understand. Like, I'll, just to close out this extremely thrilling topic, I'll, I'll give you one more example. So speaking of the blue and the green bubbles, like, you know, it turns out in the rest of the world, everyone uses WhatsApp, which is. Oh, that's for, right. Yep. For, for many reasons is is uh, is weird. One, it's a very weird application. Uh, and and uh, also Facebook owns it, which everyone just kind of like they sort of nod through like they're like, I know. I know Facebook owns this because as you can imagine in the rest of the world, they're kind of on to Facebook. They're sort of like, oh, you Americans and your Facebook, <laughs> you know, 
Uh, Facebook is, 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 I think, very quickly becoming like the uh, 90s Microsoft was to the rest of the world, just sort of like our, our uh, you know, Yankee cultural imperialism on their computers. Uh, and, and, you know, but anyways, everyone uses WhatsApp and it has this weird thing. Well, one, they don't have an iPad application, uh, which is strange. And then two, like, it's like very closely tied to your phone number. Like, it's weird. Like, it yeah. actually cares what your phone number is, which, I, I mean, I could make up reasons why that is a thing. Like, definitely being able to look up people by their phone number is fine. But, like, like you know, when you change your SIM card, it's, like, freaks out. And it's like, oh, this is your new number. And, like, it wants to use that and register. And it just seems like, it just seems like a little too much paranoia or something. So it's a strange application. But uh, yeah, it's what everyone uses. It's fine. Uh, it's it's no big deal. But it, it, at the end, it, it's, it's kind of weird. So speaking of uh, uh, of incongruous weird things, I think I think uh, in a in a rare conversation topic for software defined talk, did you follow all? Have you been following all the Oracle Open World stuff? Very exciting. Yeah, I've definitely been following you know some of the the headlines around uh, Ellison, right? Sort of bashing AWS, and then uh, putting aside sort of the kind of the typical like uh, vendor sports headlines. I know uh, some of the guys working on the Oracle second generation or Gen two, I think is what they call it. Uh, so I just you know happen to know a little a few of those guys. I know they've been working like really hard on it, and I know a lot of them. Um, have been very excited about like you know, you know I don't know if they would say it this way, but they sort of feel like or the perception I got is they really got a chance to like build it from the ground up, like quote unquote you know this is like what everyone dreams of. We're gonna quote do it right this time. So it's been interesting to see some of the various announcements, and then they have a lot of you know Oracle's always good at having all those like uh, fact factoids like mm. X percent faster and X you know Y percent. So. It's been interesting to see all of that come out. Um, you know, as always, you know, your question is like, how real is it? But uh, but I know the people I know at Oracle have been working hard on it, and they have been very optimistic about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the sense you get with with the stuff recently from Oracle is like, I, I'm pretty sure this is real. It's just like presented in a carnival kind of way, which uh, you know, it seems it seems more like uh, like you remember you remember the slap chop. Like I think that I think that thing actually would help you out in the kitchen, like to chop up some onions or you know stop living a boring life and eating boring tuna. But it's just like the guy Vince who presents it makes it seem like a total sham. It's just like the, I don't know the the wrapping around stuff is is just always uh, annoying. And you know all of that said, I, I tried to uh, I spent you know not not a uh, considerable amount of time which is to say not enough time kind of trying to look around for coverage and things and i didn't find that much i didn't go and watch the keynotes or uh, actually attend the conference I mean, I'm, I'm not uh it's not like i'm an analyst or anything uh but it is it is like the 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 things that they've chose to talk about are kind of are, i shouldn't say odd but they're unique uh in the sense of like there's this huge emphasis on uh, security and on like, as you said, the the facts of performance, right? Like, there's uh, I think I think there's one slide in the Diginomica coverage that's just like you know, six how we're better with numbers types of things, which which is which is like fine, but you know, uh, and I don't know, maybe it's differentiated. Like everyone else kind of just talks about like uh, 
our stuff works and here's what you can do with it, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, generally like pricing in cloud stuff is just, it, it, it is like, I think by this time it's known that cloud doesn't, that public cloud doesn't mean cheap, but I think there's sort of like, not everyone focuses on price cause they're like, I don't know, everything costs money. What are you going to do? Right. Like, and, and there's more, there's more interest in the capabilities that, that things do for you and the, uh, as they would say, outcomes that you get with it, which, uh, when I dug around a little bit, I mean, there's some talk here and there about what people actually have done with, uh, the, the Oracle things talked with. Uh, but like, you know, a lot, of, a lot of it is just on like, we're, we're, we're awesome. And now we have robots who are fighting <laughs> Russian hackers, <laughs> That's which, right. which is just a strange, like, uh, strange presentation of things which which i think i don't know again like it just i i guess i guess one it's sort of like uh uh cynically amusing to see that kind of stuff especially being having been involved in the industry as as we have been over the years but it's also like frustrating because like i would like to actually know some details that are like believable about things and maybe that's in like uh what is this wednesday maybe that's in the coveted third or fourth day keynote session <laughs> friday i guess yeah, that's in the that's in the training sessions that yeah, no one's yeah. gonna go bad it's like I, when people walk in and be like okay i'm gonna try to do it and it works or doesn't i guess usually your first day is all your bluster and then yep. your your second day is usually more detailed like you get all the nerds to come up and do demos and actually go over things and hopefully in the first and the second day you've had some in the first day you should have some marquee customers come up there and be like you know this uh, this new technology changed my life, and it made it possible for me twelve months from now to uh, you know get a uh, an upgrade in my career by going to a new company and like helping them out with this. And then on the second and you know the third day, you usually have like the partner talk. Here's here's the uh, here's like the hundred thousand dollar slot talk that someone paid for, <laughs> and uh, they're gonna, they're going to tell you uh, you know ten minutes how they're related to the person they're talking about. And then spend the rest, the other 20, 30 minutes they have talking about them themselves, which is fine. That's a great way to spend money uh, at such a big conference. But, but you know, I don't know. We'll see. It, it, I think, I think it's, uh, it would be nicer to not have to work so hard to, like, dig into the covers. Which, right. uh, if Matt Ray was here, he would probably know what it all was. He would be like, oh, yeah, I downloaded their, uh, <laughs> I downloaded their API from Mercurial or, you know, Sun Hub. <laughs> something and i've written an api to interface with it and i call it like you know uh you know dishwasher or, or something <laughs> like that and now now i can run a compliant exadata uh, array for the oil and gas industry in malaysia i agree that's exactly what matt would say but i do think uh i do one thing i you know the the non-matt analysis of this would be i i continue to think of kind of the world as like of the the vendors kind of breaking you know AWS, Google, sort of in this, you know, kind of cloud native born, you know, uh, in the cloud version, right? Microsoft sort of, you know, Azure kind of sitting in between. And then um, I don't really know what to say about Alibaba because I just don't ever use it. So I just kind of put that one to the side. But then you have Oracle and IBM. And it's it is really interesting to kind of see like enterprise marketing plus their attempt to build these clouds kind of intersect with, you know, really Amazon and Google's approach, right? And and I guess where I leave that is always come back to, you know, I think rightfully at times people can like be critical of the Oracle and IBM keynotes, right? It just feels very fluffy and it can be just a lot of uh, jargon and stuff like that. But at the same time, like, like I, like I, like you, right? Like 
I know a bunch of people at IBM. I know a bunch of people at Oracle. Like they, they are very smart. They're not fundamentally different than the people working at Amazon or Google, right? In fact, some of them work there. There's you know plenty of people going back and forth for various reasons. So I mean, it's not like they're stupid, right? And and there is something to like. They are. They do have the advantage of building something new now because that comes usually because they were behind. Um, so there is interesting stuff happening. But having said all that, you just wonder if um, if developers, if people are really ever going to try it. You know what I mean? Try it in a way that gives it like a real run through. Like, is this mm. stuff really? Um, because there's such a preference now. I think on the developer side, kind of the, the, the doer side to just, you know, get on with Amazon or Google or Azure. So, so even if there was something great inside Oracle and IBM, like how willing is that group of people to really try it? And I think that's why when you see people on stage is they're trying to identify and security being one, they're trying to find this reason that they're the manager or directors or vice presidents of their companies will latch onto and tell the developers you need to go try it. Like that's what mm. I think is happening. They'll say something like, this is a lot more secure. It has like some, uh, you know, obscure security clearance or something, or it does, you know, something along this. And so like when that person returns home from the Oracle conference, like will they be willing to say to their you know, kind of development team, like go try this? Cause that's going to be what it takes, I think for them to win, right? If not, I think the developers will just probably choose Amazon, Google or Azure. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting to see it all play out. Well, you know, you know, this, this, this makes me think two things. One, I think, uh, I think if he worked at it, our, our friend James Governor could easily become the Seth Godin of enterprise IT marketing, just sort of, <laughs> he, he would have to, he would have to do that sweet spot of upping his output, uh, to the frequency, but having it be much shorter and just say, just say Godin-esque things like, you know, uh, the most effective marketing is done by your existing customers who are already successful. And then just like, you know, drop your microphone that pushes the WordPress publish button. And next thing you know, you know, you're famous, famous uh, recommender of things. But uh, now, you, you know, using my, my, my spirit podcasting animal, I'm going to pull a, a, a Matthew Iglesias here. Are you, are you ready? <laughs> oh, you know, okay. You know, I want to talk about if it matters if developers are someone that people like Oracle should market to, but why don't we take a break first? <laughs> you see, you see that? That's a, that's a Matthew Iglesias move right there. Boom. You are. Now, now yes. we just need to get a funny bit uh, that's in the show somewhere and put that at the beginning and then have like some hard pounding, like, like jazzy music. That's it, right. So for those of you who don't pick up on all that, that means if you don't, if you didn't know what all that meant, you should go download download and listen to the weeds podcast and you can uh can hear matt iglesias and sarah cliff do it uh do it all live but but if you were here i would say something along the lines of that like this i'd like to tell everyone that uh this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds, and this week SolarWinds wants you to know about their devops tool app optics do you know about this tool already kote you know i think i've looked over it uh recently actually well let me tell you, today there's a divide between applications and infrastructure health metrics. And a lack of unified dashboards, alerting, and management, Cote, that makes your life a little bit harder. So with SolarWinds App Optics, you get a bird's eye view across all your resources on a single pane of glass, but can also drill quickly into the details. App Optics includes built in integrations for over 150 cloud first applications instant vis visibility into server and infrastructure performance, robust custom mat metrics dashboards, 
and automated APM request tracing and Kotec. It's SaaS hosted, it's easy to manage, and it's budget friendly. And of course, there are over 275,000 customers that trust SolarWinds for the performance data they need. And App Optics lets developers and operations get back to doing what they love, delighting users. So you can learn more and you can even try it for 14 days. Just go to appoptics.com slash SDT. That's spelled A-P-P-O-P-T-I-C-S.com slash SDT. And of course, please tell them your friends uh, at Software Defined Talk sent you and SolarWinds is a returning sponsor. We really like those guys. So we want the Software Defined Talk audience to sign up and give them some love. And I think we should also, I think it was last week, I think uh, SolarWinds you know, successfully completed their second IPO. So it's always unusual when you do it twice. But I saw lots of uh, Facebook and Instagram pictures of uh, old friends, old co workers uh, being really excited at the New York Stock Exchange, much like I think Pivotal. There's like a bunch mm-hmm. of Pivotal people running around there. So I guess uh, when you go public, you get to like run around and take uh, lots of Instagram pictures uh, at uh, the New York Stock Exchange. So I think they all had fun and uh, hopefully they're trading well. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is nice. Good, good Austin company there, you know, long ago from Oklahoma, but basically an Austin company that uh, it's 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 nice for them. I'm I'm glad they they they're a responsor. This is this is my motto. I'm going to suggest to them. They can have for free. Take the pain out of your single pane of glass. Do you think do you think that would work? I, well, I like it. We'll uh we'll see if, you know, maybe we'll update the ad copy. We'll uh, you know, we'll we'll work that in next week. There you go. Well, relevant to them having 275,000 customers, right? So the uh the business model that SolarWinds follows is, you know, generally much higher volume than, say, like Pivotal Cloud Foundry, <laughs> right? <laughs> so different pricing and different products, all sorts of different things. So the way they do things is different uh, in that regard. Now, back back to Oracle. As I was reading through all this Oracle stuff, right, and boasting about, like, performance, and also we didn't mention this too much, but there was, I, I guess, you you know, you know these terms better than I do, but there, I think a lot of the commentary or the... Uh, awesomeness suggestiveness that uh as they say larry was going over was basically price performance right which is to say uh this may be more expensive than nothing than free but the performance you get out of it is awesome essentially right so when you do the math based on just like paying for something you get you get better performance by paying this amount so therefore it's cheaper using that kind of logic and there's probably some spreadsheets that so show it's cheaper in some other way but that that kind of like conversation, at least in my experience, uh, developers don't give a fuck, right? They're just like, I, I don't. You're talking in. I I don't know what you're saying, uh, and in fact, it kind of turns them off. However, uh, on the other side of my experience, especially in trying to sell, uh, you know, large deals uh, in software, I should say not trying to sell, but sort of like hanging out on the periphery of other hardworking salespeople who actually do that work. Like having a good price performance thing like can help your deals uh, work out much better for the people that you're talking with. And so it made me think like, well, does Oracle like need to appeal to developers, right? Like maybe this kind of like conversation is great. And indeed, like some of the, uh, uh, I think I think some of, of the, the use cases I, I could pull out from Diginomica, which does a great job covering like open world and other Oracle stuff. You should subscribe to them. Uh, but uh, you know, basically, a lot of the testimonials are around like uh, we got the, the the performance was good and the price worked out, and they're kind of coming from uh, the non technical side of the house. In fact, 
one of one of the things they covered was this hotel chain uh going from i don't know a manual process of doing accounting to a, a, a more digital way of doing it, a literal like there's a quote from the the spokesperson from this customer saying like I used to have to I don't think he says used to have to but I used to have to uh, call up accountants to like get this whole view of accounting. Now I use a computer, I guess. Uh, but you know, like it, being less snarky, it, somehow Oracle introduced their accounting thing that improved the life of this person. But that person was like the chief accounting officer, so. Uh, I don't know. Do you think Oracle needs to uh, appeal to developers? And then what does that mean for like this idea of, of developers being kings in general? Does that really only apply if developers are going to be programming on it? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we always have to walk back to, you know, unfortunately, I think the stock market and, you know, earnings per share is what drives all of these narratives. Right? So the growth narrative today, you know, the, what's, what Wall Street wants to see is something along the lines of lots of uh, developers or lots of people adopting your cloud software and, you know, quickly uh, deploying um, some types of new solutions and, of course, signing up for some type of SaaS-based subscription. Like, that's what's going to get you, like, the multiple, right? So, of course, Oracle and IBM and all these other enterprise vendors, of course, they make a lot of money, period, right? Just just selling things that are not that, like old enterprise software, licensing. Um, of course, Oracle makes a lot of money just on traditional Oracle database licenses and things like that. So, I think, you know, to answer your question, it's it's not like these companies are suddenly you know, go out of business or something if they don't do it. It's just that they're not, if they don't tell that narrative or have some kind of story, they will be sacrificing the growth narrative that, you know, most of the time technology investors are demanding right now. So that is why I think um, you always see all these vendors like really, really trying to push this. Like everyone's got a cloud, everyone has a SaaS based thing, um, even though they may, may make their money in a, uh, a totally different way. But on the developer side specifically, there was an, uh, you know, another article that came out that really wasn't part of the Oracle announcements, but it was sort of played well into it. I guess Amazon did the full um, you know, post-mortem on their Prime Day outage, right? And what they found out was, at least you know, according to this article, was um, they moved from Oracle to uh, Amazon's you know, in-house databases, and they found that uh, that was the, the part of the problem with the outage. And what they basically said is that under scale – you know, I think it had to do with like save points and Oracle transactions. They just found that the Oracle databases, you know, did um, handle these transactions better. That was a scale they just were, either did not or were not able to test before Prime Day. So, you know, kind of looping back to your original question here, it's, you know, I don't know if, you know, today the developers like I'm going to go run out and use the Oracle cloud. But I do know anyone that's involved in probably, as we like to call any digital transformation today, probably has some type of big monolithic app working with the Oracle database. And when they go to actually, you know, migrate that to some some other cloud native architecture, um, this is the kind of problem that I do think they need to think about a lot, right? Because there are, I mean, there's just the age of Oracle and the database. There's just so much, you know, if you will, knowledge inside that database. You know, so many weird use cases that have been fixed that it is, you know, whether we like it or not, it's a pretty bulletproof platform. So I think that's, you know, for me, that's probably what I think developers think about the most. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, I, I, I think, I think probably the majority of Oracle database sales are driven by two things, and I'm just kind of semi-informally, wildly speculating. One is like as as the backing thing for your ERP system, right? So like, you buy a big old ERP system and you buy Oracle database stuff to like run underneath it, which. 
uh, I don't know. To be to be unnuanced about it, doesn't really involve developers, right? Like, there's, there's a whole other set of people who fiddle around with that, but they're not really. I don't think I don't think they're the developers from like Stephen O'Grady's famous claims about <laughs> developers, right? Right. Um, and then you have Oracle database sales driven by we're writing some software and we need a database for it. And I think a subset, a smaller. Well, it's not smaller, but I guess there's probably an equally the the third bucket is probably uh, I don't know what words to use nowadays aren't overblown, but your analytics people like you just pump a bunch of stuff. It's your data warehousing and analytics and all of that, and they're kind of more developer oriented, but they're not quite they're not writing custom software or whatever. And so clearly, for that middle bucket of developers, it's probably important for developers to uh, be interested in what you're doing now. That said, and this happens in Europe a lot more interestingly than, uh, you know, Canada and the U.S., North America. Uh, there's always a lot of complaining over here about how much outsourcing they have. So it makes me imagine that maybe there are developers who are these outsourced developers and maybe winning over their favor isn't so important because they just maybe for worse do what they're told and don't really care. I don't know. I mean, that's another pool of like uh, developers that I don't think are in that conversation of developers mattering that that uh, that come into play because man to talk when you go talk to the companies around here and by around here I mean all of Europe uh, <laughs> about uh, in this neck of the woods about like digital transformation DevOps and all that like that's kind of the first they bring up two things consistently one they bring up like ah we've got these outsourcers so nice talking to you. Right. Like they don't they don't know how to get around that. And then two, more so than in, it is in the States, they're basically like, yeah, senior management is is uh, uh, not I shouldn't say senior management. Let's call it like the uh, the stalactites of, of senior management. Right. Like not quite middle management. Middle management's always a problem. Uh, but the level between middle management and your like CEO level type of people, they're always like, ah, they just like they don't care. They're old. They don't want to do new things. And uh, I don't know. Those come up all the time. But anyways, back to developers. Like it is, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess developers care about Amazon. They definitely care about Google Cloud. They they seem to like the Azure. Uh, you know, they like all the very, all your platforms as a services. They, they're, they're into that stuff. But man, I, I just, it's just like, I don't, I don't know if developers are into Oracle. And uh, it's hard, it's hard to know if that like, if that, has ended up mattering. And I guess, you know, I, I, I started to read uh, O'Grady's book again, because, and it's about like five or six years old now, because I think it's basically trying to answer this question about Oracle specifically. So mm. uh, maybe it's in well, We should update I the charts. Yeah, I guess maybe we'll have to go back and maybe get O'Grady's take. But I do think, you know, sometimes we, you know, this the word developer, right, can mean a lot of stuff. And so I think, you know, people building lots of cloud native applications, new applications, I think, that's kind of the people we're thinking about when we talk about that. But, you know, I, I don't know. I'm going to call, you know, this other class of developer, like system integrator, yes. right? Uh, people that deploy, uh, you know, any type of applications more, you know, um, what I think people would consider like a traditional Accenture consultant, right? It's like, hey, we've got a problem. We need to build a new system or we need to like, if, for example, we need to deploy uh, the ERP system that was bought by uh, a big manufacturer, right? And we're going to go through. And that's more about, you know, 
I don't know. I don't know if people often like, I don't think we, when we say the word developer, people think of that, but there's a huge class of people, right? That that's what they're doing all the time is they're looking at applications that have been pre-bought or they're trying to integrate some legacy stuff. And, uh, but they're usually like a consultant system integrator. Um, and that group of people, I think, is very much embedded with like all of the older, you know, SAP, IBM, Oracle. And, um, I don't know, you know, it's like, I, I don't know how big it is. It's just, it's not a very sexy thing. I don't know if people necessarily, um, you know, talk about it as much, but like, you know, just like, just from a pay standpoint, but I know if you're, for example, I'll just throw another one out, like software, um, sorry, not software, uh, Salesforce, right? Like if you're a Salesforce consultant, right, where you know everything about Salesforce, how to make it work, how to like get it configured for an environment, like you're going to do quite well. You're going to make a mm-hmm. lot of money making those uh, dashboards. Yeah, you are. And, and it is, it's like, it, I think in some ways you're going to make more money than like the Node.js developer, you know, that's just building some cloud application, right? Like, because it's, it's, um, it's a, such a specialized skill and those dashboards, what you're kind of hitting on is like people really want them, right? There's a group and there's like the CFO and everybody like wants to pay for that. And they're not in that uh, Salesforce consultant. They're doing some coding of course, right? But they're not walking in with like any type of digital transformation message or DevOps. They're just like, no, I'm here. I'm going to get this work. We're going to glue it together. It's going to be great. And you know, they make whatever the $500 an hour, then they leave. And, um, so I don't know. It's just, you know, kind of to your, your original question is like that person consultant developer system integrator definitely cares about what oracle's doing in salesforce and all these others and is definitely keeping abreast of all the changes yeah 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 you know i haven't been to a, a knowledge conference in a while the premier conference of service now uh but i remember the last time i went there several years ago you know the the, the entire uh not entire but a surprisingly huge amount of the booths were these system integrator types and you would mm. uh you would go up and talk to them and, and they were just like this shit is bananas we are just making so much money moving from remedy to service now like we hired 50 people and they and, and it was great a lot of them were like uh not all of them but a lot of them were just like the good old boys people like some of them had that permanent little like uh uh what's the opposite of an indentation uh it's not convex it's uh whatever they had that little like permanent pouch on their lower lip where they had dip all the Uh, time and they were just uh, like they were just like man we're migrating that shit day and night and uh but anyways yes there's always that now it also reminds me you ever see that movie love lisa liza with uh philip seymour hoffman and his uh his wife like kills herself and he can't figure out why and then he ends up like huffing gas with some teenagers and becoming like a homeless person no, I haven't seen it. It sounds like I may pass. It's a very, it's a very uplifting film, but but he's he's like an independent programmer in it, and this is in maybe the early two thousands. And there, it has the best scene of just like using some nonsense to like prove the the programming prowess of someone. And it's basically like he's in a conference room, and it's like this five second thing where they're. It's almost like it's almost like a screen, like a, a psychotic screensaver, where there's just like all these like windows flashing up there. And I'll have to look up the lines, but he's something like, oh, yeah, we're using the latest uh, Flash Java applets to really capture the experience of, uh, of Internet something. And nice. uh, just, you know, consultants, they just need to learn Flash. And, you know, also speaking of the Amazon thing, I was I w- that's that's a that's a good. Uh, uh, well, one sounds like a tw- one of their 25 page memos. I wonder if that's how many is it? 6 page. I wonder if that's a 6 page memo, memo with appendixes. I've never heard of this uh 
post-mortem analysis memo. From yeah, him, they so. said it was actually in this uh, article. They said it was like a 25-page, like, I don't know. It, it had some kind of military thing. It's like mm-hmm. post-action, you know, report, like yeah. kind of like a debrief. So it sounded quite extensive. Yeah, yeah. And obviously the reporters at CNBC who wrote this up have not read about the virtues of a blameless post-mortem and a blameless <laughs> culture. So we'll yes. have to send them some copies of Effective DevOps so they can read up on that. <laughs> Uh, and by we, I mean not not us. Uh, but it it was also you know it reminded me of there. There's a great you know one of the one of the uh, I don't know I think more interesting philosophic procedural things in in the SRE world is this idea of uh, and and you know I should go back and reread this, but it's I think it's a it's a subtle renaming of an existing concept just to kind of get over an error of how SLAs are used. But it's basically like maybe you shouldn't worry about like a huge amount of uptime. And instead, what you should say is, what are you willing to pay for and like what's acceptable? Uh, and I'm kind of munging this all up. But, you know, the, I think the, the, the best the best sort of point they get at when thinking about like challenging traditional availability and uptime as a metric that operations should uh, primarily care about, like the one thing they should care about is they're like, well, if you're delivering a web application, you only control so much of the performance for that. As we found out earlier recording, sometimes someone's in a hotel room and the Wi-Fi is spotty and (laughs) like you can't control that. So like there's this certain amount of like guaranteed sloppiness in that last mile that like you really shouldn't try to be perfect because something bad is going to happen. And anyways, in, in that context, I was like reading over CNBC's just like violently blameful analysis of this, just looking for a reason to be upset at people instead of seeing learnings that were done and being more of a generative culture where we move on and uh, we fix all those things that we've quickly broken. Uh, but it did make me wonder, like, like the thing I pulled out is that, we, so, so more nuance to it is like this downtime was actually in one Ohio warehouse. And uh, as you were saying, like somehow their database was writing out too many save points or I don't know what databases mean, but it was writing out too, it was being too safe. It was writing out too much information, which like slowed it down. And it says it delayed 15,000 packages and wasted about $90,000 in warehouse labor, which doesn't include the troubleshooting that IT people did. So let's, I don't know, how many people can actually write a 25 page memo? Let's say there were like, five to 10 people who spent like a couple days on that. And I can't do math, but let's say it cost Amazon $300,000, right? This whole thing all in. Uh, if you don't account for delayed package time, I, I, don't, I don't know how you would account for that, but let's call it half a million dollars. How about that? And then it's sort of like in the long term, not paying for Oracle licenses, that's probably a rounding error, right? So it is, <laughs> it is kind of like... it. It's it's having that bigger view of something like does sort of like, I don't know, it makes it seem a little less worse. And it is it's another it's also an interesting way to look at kind of like taking a big like uh, short term hit for like a long term strategy. Um, and, you know, you would also assume there's all sorts of other benefit they would get from using their own technology, not least of which. Uh, you know, they'll probably never outlive this little story because Oracle will be there to remind people of it. But it's to say like, yeah, we run all of Amazon on this technology, which you could use. And the reason you're interested in doing digital transformation is you think we run really well and we're going to destroy your business. So why don't you use the technology we use to destroy your business, which is why they'll go use Azure or Google or something like that. But still, you know, I mean, that kind of analysis is like, this is actually a very small sort of change amount to uh, to pay 
to like get out from under. And I don't know, I assume sort of like the technical debt and like the lock-in and the payments that uh, they were paying Oracle. Yeah, it is kind of, I really think that's an interesting way to look at that whole article because I think they, the line with all the numbers, the 15000 delayed and $90,000 in waste labor costs, like, um, is really kind of meant to say, oh, wow, they lost a lot of money. But really, really, if that document becomes like the ROI, yeah, it turns out we didn't lose that much money and we're going to yeah. save whatever, $10 million over the next 10 years, then it's it's almost like the, the postmortem <laughs> becomes the ROI analysis. For, and of course, then now they say like, yeah, and we learned that we need to fix this and that, yeah, when we do the save point thing, we're going to make sure that works. And I mean, I think there's always just, um, and I, you know, it's always funny when we see these outages because there's another one reported this morning that Apple iCloud was down for a couple hours. And, and it's just, you know, I mean, I, I think the lesson is like, I don't know, consumers, all of us users, like, I don't, we're just more generous. It's not like none of nothing really happens. You know, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. when these things happen, I'll even say, you know, kind of outside technology, you know, living here in Austin, Texas this week, been quite a bit of rain and flooding. So it just means that the, the water treatment plants overloaded. So like we have to boil water, right? It's like, wow. So, oh yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I saw, I saw the local like, breweries were freaking out or, yeah, or should so, be freaking I mean, out. Yeah. It's inconvenient, right? The restaurants are certainly hit hard and people that do it, but you know, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, Everything just keeps going. Like you either buy a bottle of water, or you boil the water, and we'll just like live through it for a couple more days or a week or whatever. And and um, like I'm sure we'll talk about the story ten years from now. But like really, it hasn't been a big deal, you know. Yeah. So you just um, so I think all these outages, maybe that's um, maybe that's more the vendor yeah. side. It's of, it's, uh, it's not like the there's a smallpox wanting... breakout or anything. Yeah, and I think that's what it, every outage and every security breach is always like. You know, is sort of portrayed as smallpox, but most of the time it's like, hey, it's just the flu. It'll get better in a couple yeah. of days. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it was actually that iCloud thing that started me thinking on that SRE jag, and then and then it, you know that thought was applied to the uh, the Amazon thing. But yeah, I mean the iCloud one is especially like, who cares? It's like, oh. Well, I always assume the iCloud service is shitty and I still pay for it, right? Like, like, cause it is, it is like, which is a whole other dynamic of, of what matters, right? Cause I always feel like, uh, you know, and this is a technical person's view on it is, is like, I always know exactly what's happening with Dropbox and more or less with Google Drive, but iCloud is this opaque mystery. Like, the only thing you ever get from it is if you like, click on it in finder it shows you one of those little pie things but like what is it doing like like and how can i throttle it and control it like how would i even turn it off and it's just a weird i don't know it's fine it works it's good for syncing all your little junk between apps and uh i don't know but it's it's okay for it to be down it doesn't really matter but and and then one 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 uh, in colombo style one last thing on uh on that ninety thousand dollars like I mean, I feel like I feel like they probably pay someone, probably one person in procurement, much more than ninety thousand dollars a year just to manage their Oracle relationship. Let alone like when they have to like renew the EULA for like however they got to get all these lawyers involved and they got to travel and like it's probably going to cost a lot more than than ninety thousand dollars. Now, close listeners will see that I suddenly scaled back from half a million dollars to ninety thousand dollars, but still. <laughs> I think I think it requires like a uh, a bigger galaxy brain analysis and then just like oh the Ohio factory was delayed like there's there's other things going on there and then also there's this is another example of just like you know 
I don't know, tripping over your own awesomeness of just like there, there are, there's some, some, and they're taken out of context, which I didn't go look up, but there's just like some, some Larry Ellison quotes of like, it's really hard to move off Oracle. And it's just like, yeah, bro, that's kind of the problem that people have with you. So I don't know if you should, I guess you boast about that to shareholders. That's fine. Yeah. But well, uh, I do it's, think it's, not, it's who, not a good look with your customers. Yeah. Anyone who's really interested in the topic of, of maybe kind of like getting inside the, the, the lock-in of Oracle, I think, uh, Coach, I think you found this. It's a good article written up by the state of Wisconsin. I think they interview the CIO. And uh, she shares her uh, learned on like basically rolling out Oracle ex- Exadata um, to reduce licensing costs. But in it, I mean, it's a fairly detailed look at all the um, the some Oracle terminology, like the various contracts that you sign, and then how like you have to you know you can't like just get rid of the contract. You have to get rid of all of it or nothing. And how they kind of went through mm. like a very um, I guess structured process to like move things off, close down contracts. And it's and when you read it, it's interesting, right? I mean, it's actually kind of interesting. But it's like really this is what she's been doing for like the entire year. Like it's just yeah. sort of managing. I, I think the, I think, the I think she says that too. She's like we last year we started working on this or something something like that. Yeah, right? and you and it. And like it's a good article in the sense of like you really learn a lot, and if you're familiar with enterprise software, a lot of it will be familiar to you. But then you know the, if you will, the cloud native part of you is like, well, this is what this is what you're trying to prevent. You're trying to prevent having people to do all of this. You know, you just ideas, you just log in and see if it's working, and if it if you need more, it spins up. If you need less, you know, it's all elastic, and it's like this is the opposite of that. So that you know when you read, and I I think it's interesting because I think Oracle was like part of the i mean i think it's kind of portrayed as like an example of like i think they're really trying to get the message of using the new x exadata platform but it really comes across more like wow this is a really good example of where how you can get stuck and you can do a lot of licensing work which isn't necessarily producing some something great for your customers yeah yeah. and maybe maybe to round this out and we'll we'll hit up some small items before we wrap up i mean i think and to add some more uh let let me let me try to in, in my patented way make up a word out of other obscure words to like apologistaize this some more and uh, and feather it with some excelsior. That, that's that's your word for the week. You should look up what excelsior is. It's a it's a good word to try to use as, as, whenever you can. It's uh, I'll save that as a as an exercise for the listener. Excelsior. It's not like a, it's not a, a sword. It's actually a very mundane thing. Uh, anyhow, like you know, you got three options if you're trying to make money uh, with with software. One of them we've talked about a lot, which is you're just like, buy my shit or you die to exaggerate it, right? Like it's just you pay a lot for this and it's it's kind of a big deal. Now, the second one, and, uh, you know, I think I'm in this camp. It's like, hey, you're going to pay a lot of money uh, and it's going to be annoying to like figure out actually sending that check and getting a PO for it and clearing it. Like the whole to, to use to use phraseology that. Uh, I, I learned from uh, our buddy Andrew Clay Schaefer, uh, you know, this can be as difficult as you want it to be, <laughs> right? Like that's <laughs> that's the story of enterprise software sales is just like, hey, man, if you want to pay with credit card, I will accept $5 million on credit card. But I guess you don't want to do that, right? I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, that's kind of a, of course, no one will want to be paid $5 million on a credit card because you get two to 2.5% taken out if you did it through Square, but whatever. Uh, you know, it's it's the process that you have and you, you work through it. And then you've got the third model, which is like, uh, let's get a lot of venture funding, not be able to make much money, and hopefully someone will acquire us, right? Which we talk about, uh, you know, obsessively. 
or you know, I, I, and there's some variations on that of like actually getting lucky enough, like like this uh, this week's sponsor to like have a very high volume sales thing that actually translates into a huge volume of sales. And SaaS companies are kind of in this bucket, but you've got to be really lucky to be in there. And I think I think the reason, at least for me, but I think other people that people like uh, Larry Ellison rile people up so much is it's like, yeah, we all know it's like hard, but you don't have to be such an asshole about it, right? Like you should just like be gentler and kinder and like kind of more sympathetic about it because like we're all in the same bucket of like trying to make money. It's not that it's not like the way your difficulty of your contracts and the way you're going to do things and the fact that you need to compete is like what's its issue. It's just like like robots? Really? Like maybe you should workshop that some more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do think what you hit on there is just like the changing nature of like an enterprise software sales and kind of the cloud is like just by definition, all these online SaaS services, like uh, by definition, if you're hosting one and, and you know, a customer signed up, it's like you're all in it together, right? Because they're using your software. You have to keep it up. They have to do the right thing. And, you know, it just makes it uh, a partnership by default, right? There's just no other way, right? Yeah. Like, like we'll even go back to our good friend. It's like, if you use an app optics, like they're hosting it, right? So it's like, it's gotta work. And, and, um, and I think, you know, when you see these vendors where it had come from like a more contentious world where it was like a competitive sale and then the software is kind of installed and then you just pay maintenance, you know, in some ongoing period of time that you have a very different mentality, right? It's about beating, you know, it's much more like I got to beat the competition, get that sale, get it in there. And then every three years I got to go back and do it again where and you know, it doesn't. And I think, you know, if anything, like Oracle and IBM. You know, that's something that I think that's built in with Google and AWS and maybe Microsoft has like learned it. Um, and, you know, I think you would say IBM and Oracle are probably on that path. So we'll see what happens. So so speaking of that, as I think uh, there, there's some other uh, small items in the show notes over at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 152. That's the right episode, right? 152? Absolutely. It's what I have in front of me here in my extensive notes that uh, have been prepared. Anyways, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 152, there's some other links that are interesting about how, uh, you know, the the current salvo and open spaces versus closed spaces, that's always fun. Basically, you know, in my experience, people who don't like open spaces are people who like closed spaces. And you like open spaces if you dislike closed spaces. And I think there's also generally something about, uh, I don't know, I found that if you like open spaces, the, your your wood coloring is very light. I think if you have a propensity towards dark wood, you like to have your own office. Uh, that's just my, that's that's uh, my contribution to social economics. Uh, turns out as I'm, I'm going to have my agent call up Malcolm Gladwell to be on his podcast and uh, have some <laughs> charts. But speaking of like pr- cloud and stuff, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't really delve into the details, but I, I trust old Owen Rogers over there to have some good spreadsheets at four five one, and he had a uh, a report that uh, I've just extracted some stuff from in the show notes. And his current analysis is that if you want to find out if private cloud is economically, he doesn't really speak to like outcomes and benefits, which is fine because people who worry about this stuff are worried about the economic stuff, I guess by definition of being people who worry about economic stuff, uh, which is to say pricing. Anyways, he said that if you want to, the way you do this math is if you can, if you can manage a VM at 100% utilization at $25 uh, a month, I think it is, 
then that means you should probably do private cloud, that it'll be uh, it'll be cheaper than public cloud. And then he goes on to reckon, as I think the English used to say, that basically also if you can manage 400 VMs per an engineer, he says, or an operations person, then private cloud is probably also possible to be cheaper. So there you go. There's your current numbers. If, you, if you're hitting $25 per VM at 100% utilization, and I think, as I recall, going back to the SRE book, you're not supposed to run at 100% utilization, but maybe they don't run VMs, they run containers or something. So who knows, really, uh, what they're doing over there. But And if you can manage 400 VMs per engineer, then uh, then you're doing something good there. You look into private cloud. So there, there's your figures. And you, if, if you're a 451 subscriber, I think you can read the uh, the full report. But but that's that's always nice to look at. And then also, uh, speaking of, of 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 my company, Pivotal, if you've heard for us, he has a uh, and and the Cloud Foundry community as a whole. He has a he has a very nice write up of uh, going to the Cloud Foundry uh, summit uh, in Basel, Basel, however you want to say it. And uh, he he's uh, he's got a good wrap up of some actual like uh, customers who did something, some testimonials and. Also, the uh, the uh, the sort of as I call them nowadays, the one line zingers that the the Cloud Foundry Foundation put out about uh, effectiveness and even cost stuff. It's the cost uh, edition of Software Defined Talk uh, that that's uh, excerpted there as well. But that's and then, and then I think uh, I think this is a compliment. He described uh, Cloud Foundry people as kind of being in a cult, which which I think is good. I don't know. I should go look up what cult means. You, do you remember? You remember back in the '80s, there were basically satanic cults, uh, sinkholes, and UFOs. Were you were you, were you affected by sinkholes in the '80s? Uh, well, I know I have relatives in Florida that were affected by them. And my, in fact, my brother, when we were very young, my grandfather. That's one thing we did. This is uh, now in retrospect, I look back as a parent. I totally get it. It's like, hey. Let's go look at the sinkhole. You know, when you're just around with your kids, you're just like, you have nothing to do. And at the time, like, I remember my brother and I, in fact, they were selling T-shirts. Somebody, some enterprising person. Like, the we sinkhole. Got and we got, like, hot dogs or something because there was, like, a little food. I don't even know. To call it a food truck is probably predating. It was probably just, like, an ice cream truck that just happened to be nearby. But, uh, yeah, like, we went out and looked at the sinkhole. But so now I look back at my grandfather's just like, yeah, well, stuck with these two grandkids. Like, we got to do something. Let's, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So, that, that's, uh, so. that's, that's, that's a joke between Kim and I is that uh, when, when she was somehow – oh, oh, and the other one is quicksand. Like, yeah, there, there yeah. were these things in the 80s that were just, like, these ominous, like – danger things that like you never hear about anymore i mean sometimes you see that picture of a sinkhole down in south america but like it, it i i remember like it felt like i could just you know turn a corner too quickly and fall into some quicksand at any given time right or there was yes. going to be a sinkhole or like a ufo was going to yeah. appear yeah, no, nowadays these popular, things never come up yeah those were the very popular uh i don't know, things to be scared of in one way or another yeah now we're just worried about icloud being down like that's that's what we had to stress out about and, and Russians, as always, always the Russians, always, always, always a fear. Well, uh, I've, I'm, I'm in the middle of wrapping up some of my uh, traveling, some of my conferences. You can no longer come for free to see me talk in Milan or Milan or Milano or however you want to say it. Me and me and uh, a couple of my coworkers. It was a nice event. Uh, and unless you work at a certain French hotel chain, you can also not come see me tomorrow uh, when when I give that talk again. But Next week on Halloween, if you're in Amsterdam, I'll be speaking at New Relic's uh, Future Stack. There, that I'll, I'll be giving my uh, don't don't tell them this, but I'll giving be giving them my usual talk, which which I've actually uh, I changed by about I don't know 
anywhere between like two to five percent each time. So if you haven't seen it in a while, it's it's a lot different. It's it's good stuff in my opinion. And then I'll be all over Asia like the uh, the the week of no the the from November third to uh, November twelfth. If you're in Beijing, Seoul, Tokyo, or Singapore. And then finally in uh, DevOx, Belgium. And there's a bunch of other stuff going on, very few of which I have written up here. You can come to Toronto December 12th and 13th. See, see us there as well. Do you have any exciting events that you're going to be at, Brandon? I don't have any exciting events, but I just wanted to like highlight one other thing that was in the news. Um, and it's about this like $10 billion government contract called JEDI, which oh, is yeah. the Joint Enterprise defense initiative or infrastructure so um you know basically it's the pentagon spending 10 billion dollars on some type of cloud so we won't do it today and uh because i i don't know i haven't completely figured out my thoughts because my initial reaction is always like i'm going to spend 10 billion dollars on this thing my initial reaction is always like don't do that just that's way too much don't <laughs> no. uh but uh so i don't know if anyone because i know we have some people in the government uh, I don't know if anyone has an opinion on this or seems like a good piece about yeah. like uh, just the scale of that. I think it's good. And there's a, a couple of write-ups. And then, of course, it's now, um, you know, as Mark Andreessen said, software is eating the world. But now I would flip it around and say, uh, well, the government is about to get involved in eating software, right? And it's yeah. so it's becoming a political thing and there's a lot of vendors. So there's a lot to like unpack there. But um, it's it's maybe, I don't know, I, I can't think of someone spending more money on uh, – on a cloud than that. So I don't know. So I want to know more. If you, yeah, if you know yeah. something, um, send it our way. And, you know, at some point we'll talk. I mean, it, I, mean I think, I think, I think to, to get all the details wrong that I should know for having read it so much. I mean, it's like, it's like a 10 year contract for like all of the military uh, or, or maybe not all, but well, what do I mean? The military has everything, but it's supposed to be used, uh, department of defense wide or something like that. And, uh, you know, it's like it's like they want to have a cloud to run stuff on. And I would imagine they'll do like uh, with with like they did with the CIA, CIA and build like their own clouds and stuff like that. And I think I think the why I find this story especially like uh, conflictingly frustrating. And by that, I mean, on the one it's frustrating for many reasons as one and why I think people like the register write about it a lot other than them just liking, you know, pointing at people when their pants fall down Uh as they do, uh, is is like if you were to sort of like poll sort of like random technologists, technology people out there, they would be like, yeah, they, they want to run on Amazon. I mean, Amazon's really good. So that sounds like a rare good choice in government IT. I, you know, I know a lot of government IT people, and it's not that rare that they make good choices. But it sort of like goes against what you would expect, right? And and indeed, again, this is my one my one side of my conflicted opinion. Like, indeed, if they were actually opening this bid up to all these other vendors who want to come in and provide them with cloud, the criticism would be like, they went and bought cloud XYZ, not from Amazon, or Microsoft or Google. So they're buying something that doesn't actually work. Like, like you would you could criticize them on the other point. Uh, But then the other side is like, yeah, I mean, single bid things do seem kind of weird even what I just said. But then also, like, it's also annoying because, like, Google was involved in that. But then I think Google dropped out because they don't want to, you know, enable, uh, as we euphemize it, defending people, which I think other people understand that as, like, killing people uh, when when needed. Uh, so, I don't know. Google withdrew from it, if, if I remember, which is kind of a bummer, which uh, I, I don't know what to do in a situation like that. But I think, you know, Oddly enough, for being like the uh, the like you know release your software every week small batch person, 
I hadn't thought of your suggestion, Brandon, which is like, I don't know, maybe spend a billion dollars and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely a topic because you hit on a lot of it. I mean, there's lots of stuff to unwind, like, you know, which vendors are even competing for it. Some pulled out, some are. And then there's just the whole notion of it. Because I, 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 I guess I'll leave it on this thought. Like, I have these two thoughts. Like, on one hand, like, economies of scale make a ton of sense. Like, say you were, um, you know, like a, a food producer and, like, you just, like, you know all of your uh, – products food products you're going to create they're all going to involve wheat right so it makes total sense to go to like <laughs> a wheat provider and do like just do one big deal be like we got it we need a lot i want to sign this one time and then i'm going to give the wheat to everybody right, right. Like, and and, and of, course, of course of course if you're big then, enough you hedge it out in case they don't yeah have yeah and you get it all figured but, out but so, still I'll, yeah so like i get that perspective of it and i think sometimes people like say, well, that's what the Pentagon's doing with the cloud. But then, like, all the things I work on, I'm like, well, the Pentagon isn't just, like, one entity. It's, like, tens, hundreds of thousands yeah. of people all trying to do different stuff. And I was like, well, maybe we should just, like, you know, be more decentralized. Let those guys give them the money and kind of figure out, like, well, if Amazon works for you, then do it. And if you want to buy some Azure or IBM or you want to, you know, want to do some Pivotal Cloud Foundry, you know, it's just, like, let everyone – because, like, because even, you know – even a hundred million dollar contract for any one of those companies is a big deal. You know, you're going to get a lot of attention. So I kind of think of it that way too. It's like, no, no, it's just, it's just way too big. Uh, um, so I don't know. I just, you know, I, you know, th and this is probably part of the human condition where like numbers get so large. It's like, well, 10 billion, like why not a hundred? Like your mind doesn't, you know, you just stop envisioning what that means. So, nah. but anyway, I guess that's, I don't know. At some point, We'll come back. We should talk about it in more detail and like have some more like well-defined thoughts about it. You know, it's definitely a good topic. There you go. We should start, start up a whole new podcast called "Well-Defined <laughs> Thoughts." That, that, no, would, be, that, that would that would be, be off-brand. Well, we, I, I think I think we've gotten some some good l listener feedback over there in the yeah. Slack channel. Like if and and if you want to uh, enjoy that and talk about other things, there's actually all sorts of other exciting conversation that happens over there. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com/slash/slack. You can uh, sign up self-service thanks to uh, no SSH JJ, right? Are we still running his uh, his digital transformation on our servers? Absolutely. It's yeah. still working. And uh, what, what's the feedback we got from Australia? Yeah, so John from Australia wrote in to tell us that he bought a T-shirt, and uh, he now wants to request some stickers. So I sent him off a bunch of stickers. We seem to have a lot of good listeners down in Australia, so Matt Ray is doing his job spreading the uh, software-defined talk hype. Uh, and as always... If you want a sticker, you can just send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and uh, I will be happy to send you a, a sticker. And, of course, if you feel so inclined, we always appreciate uh, you leaving us a quick review in iTunes. It's what helps people find this podcast. And if you make lots of conference calls, a personal plug, you can go check out my uh, quick con call iPhone app. Just had a friend buy it the other day. He made a bunch of requests. So I was like, yep, those are good ideas, version two. So uh, keep keep the requests coming. Mm, version two. That, that's yeah. great. I'm looking forward to it. Well, uh, as the last self-promotional thing, uh, a little bit after this, I'm finally going to record another episode of the, the Cashed Out podcast with Robert Brooks. So if you've been wondering if we're still going to do that podcast, thanks to Robert, who just sent me like 10 meeting invites for various times. Uh, we're actually going to record one. And if you go to uh, cashedout.coffee, you can find that. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes we end up talking about computer stuff. But, uh, you know, it's just like a everything podcast sort of thing. Anyhow, this week, what do you recommend, Brandon? Well, you know, I'm back on my uh, uh, true crime fix. So I, I've watched uh, Making a Murder season two. So that was uh, 
if you haven't seen season one, I think it's fairly popular. You either probably saw it and really enjoyed it. And that's kind of the trial of this incredible experience of this guy who was wrongly convicted and then released and then convicted again. So season one is all about that. And season two is about all the appeals process. So, so it's pretty interesting. It actually became more like a, a lesson in like how appeals really work and stuff like that. So I don't know. I find this stuff, uh, just addicting. I know a lot, some people don't like true crime, but I just, I know I turn it on and I just like, you know, four hours go by. So it's a good, uh, I think this one's 10 episodes. So what would that mm. be? Cote? That maybe be halfway to, uh, Singapore for you. <laughs> so if you want to like, <laughs> if you want to waste time, not, not including Asia, airport time, that's right. If you want, if you're flying to Asia to do a lot of pivotal cloud foundry talks, you know, you could probably probably make uh, time to watch season two. I think I think like like The Walking Dead is out or something. I saw some ad for it somewhere. I need to check in on that. That's a good that's a good way to uh, blow some time. You know, can you know? I I'm always complaining about how how come I can't have like you know a uh, uh, a life where I just do nothing. And then and then and then Robert Brooke is always telling me in his charming accent, Cote. You have that life, so I should just accept it. But, uh, you know, can you, we should do, can you imagine if we did some sort of pop culture podcast? I wish there was time in our life for that. We'd just like pick something. I don't even know what we would talk about, but it'd be fun. We could just go over things. Do you think people would listen to that, Brandon? I have no idea. I, I hope so. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll see. Well, I have I have a couple recommendations and an anti recommendation. One, uh, I've tested this theory out several times. If you're one of these people who travels a lot, maybe even if you don't travel a lot, I recommend staying in the same hotel in each city that you go to. You know, frequently. So I found a place in London that I like to stay at, and here in Paris. Speaking of my life, doing nothing, uh, so to speak. Uh, but it's 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 comforting. You know how to get there. You know what the local area is, and uh, and you can feel all fancy when they're like, "Have you stayed here before?" And you can be like, "Yes." And then they always proceed to tell you everything about the hotel, kind of like in, at a restaurant where they ask you if you've eaten there before, and then they tell you everything, anyways. So you should pick your own hotels to stay at. It makes your life feel a little better. So then also, uh, I've been listening to the audio version of uh, David Foster Wallace's collection of essays, "Consider the Lobster." It's uh, it's good listening. You you really got to power through his lengthy essay on uh, dictionaries, uh, which uh, is only pleasurable if you delight in people being academically clever uh, and kind of entertaining. Otherwise, it's complete bore. I listened to the whole thing, but I I was going back and forth between the two things. But there there's a uh, there's good coverage of. Uh, when he was sent by Rolling Stone to cover the uh, uh, the, the 2000 McCain campaign. And and I assume there's lots of people who like this kind of stuff because there seems to be a good business in it. But man, I love any sort of like a gonzo narrative of, of, uh, of anything. In fact, I was thinking, Brandon, I should, I should start working on, I think it would have to be fictionalized, but like one of those thinly fictionalized versions of like the last 10 years of me being like on the road and all sorts of anecdotes. I was thinking of all the the like anecdotes like there's one certain analyst i know who uh, long ago was at a uh, a systems management conference and uh and and uh they were given the challenge by their fellow analysts and i assume there was a lot of drinking going on uh to eat an entire piece of chocolate cake uh and so of course this analyst ate an entire piece of chocolate cake and this is one of those american pieces of chocolate cake which is basically the fourth a fourth of a three decker cake and uh, I remember seeing some pictures of it. And I remember also being told that the analyst relations people got upset at him for some reason. Or I should say, sorry, them. Uh, and uh, 
I don't know. It's just a very emblematic story of like you go a little kooky when you're an analyst and, and a lot of AR people just like have like a steel pickle up their ass. They just need to relax. But all sorts of anecdotes. Like, you think people would read that kind of thing, Brandon? I don't know. I've often thought like um, there are so many good books. Like there was I'm reading one about like Bad Blood, which is um, and of course, when I say reading, I mean listening uh, about like, you know, the person that started uh, what Theranos and I don't know. And then, of course, there's, uh, you know, uh, the one I like so much, uh, Chaos Monkey, where and yeah, it's all yeah. about like popular technology. It's usually like more. And I, I've often thought like uh, I've loved to do a similar book around, you know, just I don't know, for lack of a better word, enterprise software, because it's it is not certainly the glamorous topic. It's but it does seem like lots of crazy stuff. happens. Yeah. So, yeah well, I, like, uh, like everybody I'm, on this. And, and I think because, you know, so many of the books I stop, I've just stopped reading. I've tried to read it. It's like, um, you know, they all like if you write some kind of business book, like you have to have like five ways to improve yourself or eight, eight factors of success. And it's like, no, actually, I, I just want to tell you all these crazy things that happen because maybe you'll enjoy it. Right. And like, I don't know if there's any wisdom in it, but if there is, you can figure it out. Like, I'm not going to like outline anything or pretend I have anything. But uh, I do think often it would be anyone that gets into the industry early on, it would be a kind of a. An interesting book to write so they can kind of see what yeah. see what's going to happen and, and you know you can always throw out some how do you say it bon mots some little uh little makes you think sort of things here and there but yeah like like i mean to 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 uh reprise what i was saying like era i i was i was listening slash reading to this just like account of being on the campaign trail and thinking like like like, like, whatever I read stuff like that, I think, like, I must be the only person who finds this entertaining. And then I realize, like, no, this was in Rolling Stone. Like, people love this shit. Just, like, everyday common absurdity that happens. And it is entertaining to read. And I, I should sit down and All think right. about the uh, the ones I have. Anyways. Well, no, we should, like, let's make it an act for listeners. If, if, if you believe this is a good idea, you can go into the Slack channel general mm. and just, you know. Just uh, just tell Cote like yeah we we want this book we this is get, and, then, this and maybe the, who knows Cote we'll, we'll we'll create an outline or something there, you know, this we'll is this would be the there. third never published book that I'll be I'll work on that that'll well, be good you know the list is long actually I guess fourth if you include my uh, my my sadly never published potential New York Times bestseller seller the Java authentication and authorization service overview. Yes. 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 Anyways, my rec- anti-recommendation, I don't even I haven't even bothered to look up the full name for it. Uh but I I'm always trying to improve my iPad Pro 10.5 inch game as it were, <laughs> whatever the fuck that is. And uh I got the Logitech Slim iPad Pro case with keyboard and super lame pin holder cuz it just seemed like it would be a good idea. And to invoke him again, Robert Brooke told me that he has a keyboard, the Apple one, and it's really nice. And I don't know, I've been using it for a couple of weeks, and it is nice, kind of, but it's like really heavy and bulky, and its pin holder is totally lame. It's like this little ribbon. I used to have like a $25 iPad case that had the pin holder inside the flap, whereas this one, the pins just kind of hangs out on the side. But uh, I think what I'll do is maybe I'll spend some more money and buy the official Apple keyboard one, which does not have a pin holder. I'm very distressed about the pin, the Apple Pencil being held because I use that all the time, but I don't know. It's too heavy. Don't buy that. It's not a good idea. And then the real the real uh, killer, killer feature, so to speak, the real killer feature that makes this, that kills it is it has a keyboard that is detachable, but it's only detachable in case you don't want to use it because it hooks up to those little magnet things on the iPad Pro, 
But consequently, what this means is it is not a Bluetooth keyboard. So you have to have the keyboard hooked up to the iPad to use it, which actually doesn't work very well in many situations, right? There are many instances, especially on planes, where it would be nicer to have the keyboard in your lap than, uh, than on there. So I'll keep searching, and when I find the perfect iPad Pro 10.5-inch uh, case, I'll tell people. Well, with that, this has been another edition of Software Defined Talk. As mentioned several times earlier, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 152 to find the show notes for this episode, things we didn't mention, other things we did, join the Slack channel, get stickers and, and all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm not above it. You should go leave us an iTunes recommendation. You can at least add a star. I know it's really difficult and terrible uh, to do it, you know, onerous, but it'd be great. Leave us leave us a recommendation. And then... Uh, and. Uh, that would make us happy, and maybe more people would listen. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Here, I'll be, I'll be Matt Ray. Are you ready? Bye. <laughs>